This morning's scripture is from the book of Mark, chapter 4, verses 35 through 41. Hear now the word of the Lord. That day, when evening came, he said to his disciples, Let us go to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along, just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. A furious squall came up, and the waves broke over the boat, so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. Then the wind died down, and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, Who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. This is God's word. Thanks be to God. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we come before you now. We come to your word and we seek your understanding and your wisdom. Holy Spirit, may you now soften our hearts. May you open our ears, unclutter our minds. That we may see and know the reality of ourselves in light of Christ's glory. Father, may your word, as 2 Timothy 3.16 says, may your word teach us, rebuke us, correct us, train us in righteousness so that we may look more and more like you, Christ. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, if you were with us last week, uh, Doug preached on the passage just before this, right? And he was preaching on the passage where Jesus was sharing some parables and he was talking about the fact that he is the king, right? He was unpacking the idea that his kingdom has come and his kingdom is growing. That's a pretty bold claim for a guy from the backwaters of Nazareth, right? So when we get to our story today, we see that the king backs up that claim and shows his power. He backs up this claim with a a flexing of his muscles, a show of force, a show of power, that he's not only the king over people, but he's the king over all of creation. Now, so uh, in in the ancient Near East, the sea uh, was something that came to symbolize for the people the dark power of evil, the place of chaos. It was, it was the place where the monsters resided and the, where the monsters came from. And, and I, th- I, think, I think sometimes for us, you know, in our modern sensibilities, we can, well, that's just quaint. But you think about how many storms that happen that we really lack any control whatsoever over. Tsunamis, hurricanes, tornadoes. So many things that we think we have some grasp on, but in reality, they are just as much chaos. But this, this, this also speaks to, I think, um, sometimes we can look at, and, and I think our culture looks at passages like these and go, yeah, that didn't happen. It couldn't have happened. Miracles over nature, miracles of healing are one thing, but miracles over nature, I think, in, again, in our kind of modern scientific skepticism are, yeah, that, that, there's no way this story happened. But honestly, we, we, have, we have no historical or textual or manuscript evidence to not believe the account that was given here. 
In fact, it bears the markings of an eyewitness account. See, what happened was when Mark was writing his gospel, he talked directly to Peter. And Peter relayed this story to Mark, and it bears the markings in it of of pointless details that an eyewitness account would have. We're going to take a nap now. (laughs) We're sleeping on the boat. It is dark. The storm is... Uh, (laughs) So... The, the challenge, I think, though, for us and maybe for you is to not decide in advance whether a miracle such as this is possible or not. Now, this moment, this, this, this is a moment in a place where Jesus reveals that he's, he is someone who doesn't just have power. He's power itself. And a few weeks ago when I preached on Jesus and the Sabbath, I talked about how Jesus is rest itself. And here he's showing that he is power itself. So let's get into the, the story a little bit, and then we're going to unpack some implications for us today. Uh, so again, in Mark's story here, this, this little piece is understood to take place at the end of a very long day. Everything that happened in chapter 4 prior. It was a very long day for Jesus. He was exhausted. He was fully human, so he would be tired. And so at the end of the day, dusk is falling. They set out to the other side of the lake. Um, And now maybe some of you know this, but some may not. The, The Sea of Galilee is 700 feet below sea level. It's the lowest uh, freshwater lake on the planet. And just 30 miles north is Mount Hermon, which sits at the elevation of 9,200 feet above sea level. So within 30 miles, you have this drastic, drastic change. And, and the Sea of Galilee sits at the bottom of the River Jordan Valley. And so what happens is uh, the, the cold air from the mountain range funnels down onto the lake, and the warm air from the Mediterranean Sea and the desert clash with it over the sea, and it caused these violent storms to take place and, and happen rather quickly. And it's, it's one thing, right, we've had some storms this week that have popped up and have been pretty, pretty uh, amazing. But you and I, right, we can slow down in our cars. We can get inside a building. These guys were not on a stable surface, right? They were on a boat. They were stuck on a boat in the middle of these torrential winds, And what was even more troubling to these guys was that it struck in the evening. See, in that region, a lot of the fishing took place in the evening because the most violent winds occur normally during the day. So this really is what led experienced and weathered guys to be fearful. So the storm comes upon them rapidly, right? The waves begin to crash along the side of the boat, and the boat begins to be tossed to and fro. Uh, and, and side note, uh, a few years ago, they had unearthed on the side of the Sea of Galilee a, a boat that was dated uh, the beginning of the first century, and it's about 27 feet long. That's probably something like the boat that he was in. But they can't, they can't bail the water out fast enough, and it begins to overflow on the sides, and it gets so violent that these experienced sailors turn to a carpenter. They turned to the guy who probably could have made their boat, but it's cute if they thought he could have sailed their boat. Now, we, we, we don't know their motives, but I, 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 fears can make us say and do some pretty crazy things. And so they look back and they see Jesus sleeping. He's asleep in this? 
And that could have done one of two things in their minds. Either they could see that and say, okay, he trusts in God enough to sleep through this. Or he has no concern for us whatsoever. And I think for us, at some point, you either are or you will be looking at something in your life, some event, some circumstance, some reaction, some person, and you have a choice of how you're going to look at it. See, the disciples viewed Jesus sleeping not as trust in God, but as indifference to them and to their plight. And so they roused Jesus from his slumber, and the proclaimed king awakens, and in the middle of the storm, we read that he gives two commands, one to the wind and one to the waves. The king speaks, and stillness falls. This is important to note, because not only does the account say that the wind stopped, right? That would be one thing, to stop the wind. But the waves would continue to rock the boat until they eventually died down, right? It would continue to rock the boat. But he calls the waves to be still, and like a lake in the early morning, it, it's, it's a sea of glass. It's really good skiing water is what it is. Calm. I can't imagine what that would have been like. I, I mean, and he doesn't just, he, he doesn't call on some outside power either. He doesn't say, in the name of the king, I command you. He doesn't conjure some power from somewhere else. He just says three words, and it's done. Uh, I, I, I jokingly think of Fezzik when he says, everybody move! And right, the people part. Okay, if you don't know that movie, you're a bad Christian. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm kidding, right? That's from The Princess Bride. That's the one movie that I grew up every... We're leaving for camp tomorrow, for middle school camp. And every year at camp growing up, that's the movie we watched on the drive. And before long, I was like, please pick a different movie. I'm so tired of this movie. Anyway, uh, but okay, so, so that's one way I think of it. Um, I'm going to geek out for a second. Um, and so there's a show on BBC that I absolutely love. It's called Doctor Who. Um, and it's cheesy and it's campy some of the time. Really, if I'm honest, all the time it's cheesy. Um, but, but for a non-Christian show, there are moments and there are glimpses of Christ in that show in The Doctor that are just amazing to me. And there's this episode where, where all, the, all the races of the galaxy are converging on one place and one time on earth because they want to get their hands on this thing called the Pandorica, which is supposed to give them control of the universe and... and, and what happens is the doctor finds himself in the middle, uh, uh, stopping the forces of evil and protecting humanity. And the sky is buzzing about with, with activity as spaceships are zipping back and forth. And the chaos is happening as they're ready to, to blow up the planet. And he speaks up. And of course, I have a clip because, you know, I'm a nerd. And we're going to watch some Doctor Who. <laughs> Hello, Stonehenge! Who takes the Pandorica takes the universe. But bad news, everyone! Cause guess who? Ha! Listen, you lot, you're all whizzing about. It's really very distracting. Could you all just stay still a minute? Because I am talking! And 
and silence falls over the universe. Right? Okay, so, but I, I, think, I think such stories and such images are good for us because how else do you imagine what it could have been like to be there when, when the waves and the storm and the wind and the thunder and lightning and then, whew, it's calm. That would have been unbelievable. Jesus speaks and the world falls silent. Calm is restored. Peace is restored. And in that, he turns to his disciples and with a question that I I can only imagine would have come from an expression of pain yet filled with love, he asks a deep, soul-searching question of where their faith resides. And they respond with, with just terrified wonder. They were scared of the storm before. Now they're terrified of Jesus. In a way, they awoke him uh, because even if misguided, they knew he had to have some power to help him in this danger. But when he shows his true power, when he flexes his muscles for them, they're just taken aback. They have not seen power like this. This man was different from any other person they had ever seen and ever known. And even in the stillness on that sea, they were no less afraid or comfortable. And I think, again, the question for us is, how comfortable are you with Jesus? Is he just buddy Jesus to you? Or is he more? And I don't think it's an either-or thing. I don't think it's, well, he's either buddy Jesus or he's either this man that we're extremely terrified of. But I think that there's a tension in there that we need to wrestle with. What side do I tend to lean to? Do I see how powerful this God-man really, really is? Now, I think that there are a couple implications or takeaways that we could look at in the light of this story. I'm going to break it down this way. First, what is the object of your faith. Honestly, what is the object of your faith? And second, when fears come, when fears of future storms, when the storms come that cause fear, how do you respond to those? Maybe even, how does the object of your faith actually hold up? So first, Jesus, his question to the disciples, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? This is actually an object question. He's not asking why their faith is so weak. So much as he's asking, where is their faith? Where is your trust? And again, I think we're asked the same exact question. But here's the thing. I don't think that this question from, from Jesus is just a question for the church. This is a question all of humanity has to answer. Where is your trust? Where is your faith? Everyone, I don't care who you are, whether you're a Christian or a non-Christian, everyone has faith in something or someone. Where is your faith? We're all banking our lives on something or someone. And how strong is it? Is it me? Do I trust myself enough? Is it my money? Have I set up enough financial safeguards and securities to keep me safe? Yeah, right. 
just trying to pay for the now, right? Storms in life are indifferent to who you are. Everyone has faith in something. And while one moment all could be well, in a flash, when all is hell, where do you find your peace? Where do you find your strength? Where do you find your hope? Where do you find your trust? This is why everybody has faith in something. This is why I'll say everybody is religious. I don't, I don't care who you are. Everyone is religion, religious. The root meaning of religion is to bind yourself to something, to bind yourself to someone. We all bind ourselves. We all pledge our utmost allegiance to something, someone. And when the storm rages and causes fear in us, or when the fear of a future storm stirs in us, Will that thing or that person that you are bound to be the anchor that actually holds you through the storm? And in the calmness, it's one thing to go, yes. But when it actually happens, it's a whole other thing. And I think part of it is learning to trust him in the little things and in the good things so that when the big thing hits, you've got practice for what it looks like when the big storm hits. And that's the second aspect. The idea, the, the thought of fears and storms. We can, we, can, we can, again, find ourselves either plagued with the fears of a future storm or in the storms that we're currently in plague us with fear. Right? Because we inherently know it's not a matter of if, but when. Right? My HVAC is 18 years old. It is not a matter of if it fails. It's a matter of when it fails. Right? Lord, give me just a few more years, please. Make it 20, 25. God can do miracles. See, fear is endemic to us. It's, it's something we're going to feel. It's something we're going to experience. The storm is going to happen. How will you respond when it does? Who will you run to? Who will you turn to? Will Smith, in in a movie, uh, talks about fear, and he says, more or less, he says, fear is a choice. Yes, danger is real, but fear is a choice. Because I think it's a matter of what you do with it. Where do you turn? Where do you run? Now, the storms in our lives most likely are not going to be you stuck on a boat in the middle of a storm. Could happen. Probably not going to be the storm that happens. But maybe it's fear of life in general. Maybe it's fear of missing out. Maybe it's fear of loss, sickness, disease, fear of death. Maybe, maybe it isn't for you a fear of something to come, but something that you're in the middle of right now. It's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. Now, there's uh, every year a, a, a university does a study, excuse me, on the, the fears in America. And the top 10 for 2016 were uh, fear of the corruption of government officials, okay, terrorist attack on nation, inadequate funds for the future, guilty here, uh, victims of terrorist attack, gun control, loved ones dying, economic collapse, identity theft, loved ones seriously ill, and the Affordable Care Act or Obamacare. Oh. Okay, okay. Uh, zombies and clowns did make the list. 
uh, but only 7 to 10% of the people are scared of those. So if that's you, you're not alone, but you're a very small minority. Uh, aliens as well made the, the list, and so if a xenomorph attacks, uh, you, well, we should be scared if they attack. Sorry, that's a random alien reference. Um, I'm going for an alien theme throughout this sermon here, if you haven't noticed. Uh, uh, anyway, sorry. Fears are endemic to us. It, we all experience it. We all fear. And, and whether it's in the fear or the midst of the middle of something, I think the true key is how you will respond to it. Who will you look to when it's happening? See, as I said earlier, the disciples viewed Jesus sleeping not as evidence of his trust in God, but as his indifference to their safety. And I think this has parallels for us. Do we view God as absent? Do we view him as silent, abandoning us to the struggles of life, indifferent to us? Do we view him as asleep? Whether it's loss of job, whether it's loss of life, whatever it may be, do we view that as evidence of lack of concern from God for us. I mean, I can hear the disciples say, if you loved us, God, we, we wouldn't be about to sink. You wouldn't let us drown. You wouldn't let this happen. Jesus, what, what kind of question is why are you so afraid? We're afraid that you didn't love us. Because if you did, you wouldn't let this happen. But I think this premise, I think that paradigm, that way of looking at it is wrong. And we can look at the storms in our lives just as the disciples could look at Jesus sleeping from really two different paradigms. There's a a favorite movie of mine um, that captures this image. Uh, M. Night Shyamalan's movie Signs is really less about aliens. There's my third alien reference. Uh, it's, It's really less about the movie. It's less about aliens. And it's far more about the way of looking at the world, of being in the world, of, of, of looking at the storm that's coming and how will you respond? Who will you be? What will you see? And so in the movie, Mel Gibson's character, his play, uh, he plays a priest. Um, his wife dies and he, he, she's lost in a tragic car accident. It's at night. She's walking down the road. She's hit by a driver who falls asleep at the wheel and he gets there just in time to hear her say a few last words. He says a few last words and then she dies and It shakes his faith. It shakes his world. It shakes his ministry. He leaves the ministry. He leaves the faith. And as a side note, maybe that's why I love this movie or or don't. We see that even for a man of the faith, what really was his faith? Where really was his trust? So it turns out there's a possible alien invasion and, and as him and his brother are sitting on the couch, they have their two kids sleeping and they're watching the live events unfold uh, on the news before them and his brother poses a question to him. His brother asks him, uh, how really, how should he look at what's happening before him? How should he view the events that are unfolding and interpret this oncoming storm? And, and so we're going to watch another clip because this is a f- great movie. Some people are probably thinking this is the end of the world. That's true. 
Do you think it could be? Yes. How can you say that? That wasn't the answer you wanted. Couldn't you pretend to be like you used to be? <sighs> Give me some comfort. People break down into two groups. When they experience something lucky, group number one sees it as more than luck, more than coincidence. They see it as a sign. someone up there watching out for them. Group number two sees it as just pure luck. A happy turn of chance. I'm sure the people in group number two are looking at those 14 lights in a very suspicious way. For them, this situation is a 50-50. Could be bad. Could be good. But deep down, they feel that whatever happens, they're on their own. And that fills them with fear. Yeah, there are those people. But there's a whole lot of people in the group number one. And they see those 14 lights. They're looking at a miracle. And deep down, they feel that whatever's going to happen, there'll be someone there to help them and that fills them with hope see what you have to ask yourself is what kind of person are you are you the kind that sees signs sees miracles or do you believe that people just get lucky or look at the question this way is it possible that there are no coincidences what do you see? And what's fascinating to me is both groups exhibit some amount of faith. Both exhibit some faith in whether there's something there or there's nothing there. But at some level, there's a trust. And, and, and I don't see it so much as an either or, right, that it's this group or that group. I think of the centurion, I believe, Lord, help my unbelief. But again, the question is, what do you see? How will you respond? Do you see Jesus sleeping on the job? Do you see a lack of concern? Or do you see Jesus exhibiting trust in the midst of the storm? Because Really, this story is, is, is not, it's not really about never having storms or fears. This story isn't about the immediate rescue that takes place from every trial or every problem, as we sang earlier. It's easy to trust him in those times. But when the storm comes, when it doesn't subside, when what you love is taken, will you trust? Will you see this story is about Jesus' 
unimaginable power, but also his unmanageable power. And, 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 and you might ask, like, like the Pevensey's children, is, is he safe then? And the response is, of course he isn't safe. Who said anything about safe? But he is good, and he is the king. See, my, my prayer for myself and my prayer for all who profess faith in Jesus is that we would not assume that following Jesus means safety and that we would assume that following Jesus means comfort. But it does mean that he loves us. And he can love somebody and still let bad things happen because he is God, because he knows better than us. That's the story of Job. And my my prayer for others who are uncertain about this Jesus thing or this faith thing, I admit this is not the best pitch for following Jesus because after all, it, it, it ultimately means your very life. And yet I have to say, there is a love in following him that carries through it all, no matter the storm. There is a hope and a peace that can weather any storm when found in him. And and there are brothers and sisters in this room who could rise to stand as witness to his faithfulness through the storm. And so may you find your rest in Jesus, both now in the calm, but in the storms to come as well. Easier said than done, right? But the beauty is, it's not how much strength you have. It's how much strength he has to hold you in his hand. And as we're about to sing, it's, it's the fact that no power of hell, no scheme of any man on this planet, any woman on this planet, can ever pull you from God's hand. If everybody has faith and has to put faith in something or someone, I'm going to give mine to Jesus the one who can silence the storm and calm the seas. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your faithfulness, God. Throughout the entirety entirety of Scripture, Lord, we read of people of humanity who countlessly, time after time, run to other things, put their trust, their faith in other things and in other people. And Lord, even in that, you are faithful to your people. Not because of us, but because of your son, Jesus Christ, and the life he lived, the death he died, and the resurrection and ascension. So Father, today may our, may our strength be renewed, but not so that we can hold on to you tighter, May your strength abide in us that we may rest in you, whether in the calm or in the storm. Father, as we give our tithes and our offerings this morning, may you use those to further your kingdom. Lord, remind us that this is a tangible, physical way to say, Lord, I trust you. When it's so easy to trust our money, our safety, our security, those types of things, Lord. This small act is a physical act to go, we trust you, God. And so I pray that you would use it to further your kingdom, to make your name great, Christ, not stone bridges, but your name. In the saving name of Jesus Christ, we pray, amen.